Despite all the, you know, things that are going on and people we're praying for, uh, Thanksgiving comes every year. <laughs> Coming on Thursday. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of times, I don't always, but the, the Sunday before I'll do something on being thankful and, and stuff. And it's important at the same time... Um, this could be uh, called uh, a lifestyle of thankfulness. It would be called a lot of different things, but the emphasis today is the choice that we have, you know, because we don't have to, right? We don't have to be thankful. And, and, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, we could be miserable. Well, that's, we could choose that. We could be depressed. We have choices to make. And uh, I, I shared it in a con- different context uh, the other week, but... You know, we don't, we, we don't have to, you know, we're going to have to do a lot of things. We don't have to forgive people. We don't have to love anybody. We don't have to be kind. We don't have to, you know. So it, it, we, these are choices. And in the second chapter of, of um, in, second Sam, in the sixth chapter of Second Samuel, David is bringing back the previously captured Ark of the Covenant. Philistines captured it. And he's bringing it back to the city of Jerusalem. But if you recall, the famous Uzzah, or some people call him Uzzah, anyway, it was carried back irreverently and without honor, and the Lord killed him. And then it says David, not understanding what was going on, was angry and afraid at the same time. Think of those two emotions. Angry, you know, he's really angry that this happened, and then he's also afraid I mean, as God just killed somebody. And so th- th- those were his immediate emotional responses. But then later he sees that this Ark of the Covenant, it was bringing blessings to a particular household. So David decides to have it returned again to Jerusalem. And if you remember this, when he's dancing with great joy and celebration, his entire heart and attitude changed uh, from one of anger and fear to one of joy. And so, again, we have a choice in our circumstances, in the midst of them, to either give thanks or give complaint. We can be filled with the joy of a thankful heart, or we can live with criticism and negativity. Maybe you know somebody like that. Somebody like that. That What are you doing? I didn't look at you. I looked at you when I said, what it, well, here it was, be filled with the joy of a thankful heart. And then I looked at nobody or live with or live with a heart of criticism and negativity. Nobody I looked at. Oh boy. So in other words, our attitude, you know that our attitude is not necessarily or automatically good simply because we're Christians. It's not it's not. The Apostle Paul was actually writing to Christians, writing to believers when he wrote this to the uh, Philippians. Do everything without complaining or crit- or arguing. Why would he have to say that to believers, <laughs> you know? And so despite the fact we're sons and daughters of God, citizens of heaven, and, and all those things, we need uh, to do everything in our life without grumbling and complaining and judgment and gossip, but, but live with a thankful heart. Easier said than done, I understand many times. But Paul writes this to the believers in uh, Colossians, or Colossae. He said, whatever you do, that's pretty much whatever. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, so whatever you say, 
or whatever you do, your actions, your words, whatever it is, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And of course, he tells the Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But again, it's a choice. It can be the will of God. We all want to know what the will of God is. Well, here's one of the places where it tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. But again, it's a choice. We'll have to do that. It's just that there's blessing that comes when we do. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, Paul writes, Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So in the New Testament, you'll find several times that the children of Israel are examples of what not to do. You know, they're used, Hebrews is one of the uh, classic about what not to do. And, and, and a, a few of the main characteristics that we find um, re- recorded in the New Testament about those of the Old Testament, the children of Israel were grumbling and complaining and rebellion. And the Lord wanted his children filled with a thankful heart. And, and yet he rather received it. About, well, it's over 20 years ago, I, I did this study on the, the complaints of the children of Israel, and it stunned me how the Lord's judgments were, how they progressively intensified the longer that they served Him. And I began to study that, and I, and I, and I thought, wow, you know, the longer, the longer we follow God, the more He actually expects of us. That He lets us off the hook in the early days a little bit. And even though I've, I've taught on these Israelite complaints before, I just feel they're so relevant uh, during seasons like this when God is calling us to once again, I mean, it's our country's, um, you know, call to thanksgiving, but God is always calling us to that. And, and so I want to share this again. It's the, the first three complaints are found in the book of Exodus. And these are the early years, quote-unquote, of, of discipleship, if you will. The first complaint is Exodus 14, 10, and 11. And it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? <laughs> No space there? You had to get in the desert so, you know, to bear? What, what have you done to us by bringing us out into Egypt? So actually, the complaint is against Moses. You know, who, he's the one that delivered them, and they're complaining, you just delivered us to kill us. And of course, it was God who delivered them through Moses, but Moses, you know, gets the bad rap, of course. Second complaint, Exodus 15, 23 to 24. When they came... Tamara. They could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara, because the word means bitter or bitterness. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Again, it's somehow Mo- Moses' fault here. You know, he didn't do anything yet. And, 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 but as we're, we're going to move on, we're going to see that man has changed little, very little over the centuries as far as blame shifting and not taking responsibility. And by the way, without going into a teaching on this, you know, there was a reason that they were supposed to drink this water because they found um, uh, since that time archaeological things and stuff like that. Mara means bitter, so it was indeed bitter waters. They didn't want to drink it, but God provided it because 
um, it, was, it was healing to things such as parasites. There was healing attributes in the water. Did you know that, Richard? Okay. Uh, <laughs> there was healing attributes in the water. <laughs> we were just talking about this morning, so it's a private joke. Anyway, um, that would heal them. And so they resist it. They resist it because of how bad, so they're resisting the healing. And isn't it true, God is often calling us into difficult circumstances or to work through difficult situations or with difficult people, and it's very bitter tasting. We don't want to go there. We don't want to drink. And God is saying, I'm doing this for your good. I'm trying to get rid of that junk in you, you know? I'm trying to kill some of the parasitical infestations you have, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, so it's a good thing, and... and, and so after both of these complaints, um, God does not respond with anger. He does not respond with rebuke, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. Third complaint, Exodus 16, 2 and 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat. No, they didn't. Come on, they were slaves. There we sat around with pots of meat. We ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So, uh, again, the Lord is relatively patient, but, but this time he, there's a test, a test of obedience, and Moses then speaks this message of, rec, of, of conviction, and he says this, right after this in verse six to, 6 to 8, so Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you, in other words, quit talking about me here, and you'll know it's the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but the Lord. So the first three complaints occurred during the first three months of the children of Israel coming out of the slavery of Egypt. And so since we have been delivered, since Egypt is comparable to the slavery of darkness that we were trapped in, we can look at these first three months similar to the life of a new believer. And so, you know, when you're a new believer, you may cl- uh, complain a, a little bit. You may be found gossiping because you didn't know very much at, at the time. You may um, grumble about circumstances or not in the... Th- you know, and the Lord is going to be firm, but relatively gentle. But notice what happens after a little maturity. The book of Numbers begins in the second year. So the first three or the first three months. Now the second year in their history with God. Numbers 11, verses 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So just the outskirts, you know, just fire and that kind of stuff. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Now, it's getting a little different here than the previous times. Uh, 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 you know, of course, it didn't stop their complaints. You know, they continued immediately after God's demonstration of power. Complaints and accusations and negativity, you know, they're contagious. We had a season of that, I recall very clearly in this fellowship many years ago, and the Lord just showed me that it was a spirit of negativity, and He said, it has almost crashed to shore. And, uh, And it was too late to stop it, actually. It crashed. 
And, but that's the picture I got. Was it, it's, a, it's like this wave, negativity, criticism, blame-shifting, accusations, judgments. They just, they just mount up and they begin to just wash over our minds, it's individually, but then corporately as well. Verses um, 4 to 6, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, only their lives because they were slaves. I mean, this is so exaggerating. Uh, and we also ate cucumbers, yuck, um, um, melons and leeks and onions and garlic. I mean, they're, they're remembering cucumbers of all things as if they're any good. Oh, boy. Now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And admittedly, manna is probably like flavorless rice, you know. Rice to me is one of the most boring things besides water. And so I'm sure that manna was just like a flavorless, but it was nutritious. It had all the ingredients for, it just wasn't bread, you know. It had, it, this, was, this was from heaven. This was God's special food. And so I know from experience that exaggerations like this abound when there's frustration, you know, when there's disillusionment, when there's accusations. You know, exaggeration is part of the package. We just remember things differently than they were, you know. We think that it was so good back in those. We do that as a nation, too. We think of the, the I was just had that conversation the other day, the 50s. Oh, the 50s. The 50s was amazing time in our generation. Well, I mean, maybe it was compared to the 70s and 60s. You know, I mean, you know, it's just our memories are, are different. You know, people, people that uh, uh, oftentimes are that are assassinated or you know, or tragically killed or something, we remember them quite differently than they really were. We give them a lot of kudos, a lot of grace, a lot of achievements that they really didn't accomplish just because of the you know, quote-unquote, martyrdom factor. Anyway, exaggerations abound and all that kind of stuff. Verse 31, 34. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. This is after they complained about manna. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground. Three feet. Okay, this quail. As far as a day's walk in either direction. That's long. Several miles. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers, whatever that is. Then they spread out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. So uh, he feeds them and then he just, you know, this is just going, this is just, I, the people are continue to rebel. And so his disciplinary response continues to intensify, do you see? Just each time. Numbers 12, 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron, um, by the way, this is the next chapter. Miriam and Aaron begin to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Very dangerous grounds. Very dangerous grounds. See, this is a directly, this complaint is against leadership. And it's more than a complaint. It's actually accusation against God's leadership that, that they're saying that the Lord speaks to us as much as he speaks to Moses. In other words, since they too hear from God, why should they submit to words 
uh, um, spoken to God only by this appointed leader. You know, in other words, can't we speak and hear the words of God with the same anointing and blessing as our leader? Aren't we just anointed? I mean, this is a very dangerous. I remember, I remember several years ago, I remember, um, you know, I was talking to somebody who had been a senior pastor. He had been an associate, which I've been as well. And so I understand the language that, that he was using. And, and, and he said, you know, the, the hardest thing for the second one, and sometimes uh, elders or leaders in church, they feel like they're the second in command or the right-hand man or anybody like that. One of the, and, and, he can, and the devil can speak this too to, to anybody in the fellowship, but typically those that are you know, in, in the leadership area, one of the, he said, one of the greatest traps for upcoming leaders is looking at the senior leader and say, I would, I would do things differently. If I were in command, I would do things differently. And what that translates to is better. Differently always means better because you could do it. And so it's a trap, a subtle trap the enemy brings to create division, and that's what's going on here. How doesn't he speak to us too? I mean, we we would just do things a lot differently, meaning a lot better than Moses. We don't like his choice of a wife. So why would God only speak to him? Well, God rebukes them. He doesn't only rebuke them; he strikes Miriam with leprosy, which translates to this. When the heart is poisoned, when the heart is diseased, our flesh, which is the visible thing that people can see, can become diseased as well. See, the disease of her flesh came after the disease of her soul, or the disease of her heart. And oftentimes, not, not, I don't even want to say often, I just, I just say it, it happens where we have physical conditions, physical disease that are directly related to some things that we have done in our lives, our mindsets, our emotions, our judgments, our bitterness, our unforgiveness, and things like that can directly relate to our physical condition. In this case, uh, she didn't just acquire a physical... God gave leprosy to her, so he gave this disease of the flesh because of the disease of her heart. Now, the next complaint... You know, there's more. I didn't end here yet. The next complaint is, is after Joshua and Caleb, if you remember with 10 others, the 12 spies, they went to spy out the land of Cana. So in Numbers 14, two chapters later than after Miriam. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said, them, if, said to them, if only we had died in Egypt... Or in this death, oh, this is just the whiniest people. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Or our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So again, they're, they're, see, they're not taking responsibility here. They're basically saying, we don't like the leader that you've chosen for us, God. Let, 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 let us pick another one. And God doesn't appreciate that, by the way. He doesn't appreciate us doubting him. And chat for much less, doubting is one thing. David doubted quite a bit, but challenging his decisions. You know, we don't like the one you chose. In other words, we think we can do better. We would do differently than you. We're going to find somebody else. Well, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and he told them, every single person under 
the age of 20 years, except for, uh, except for um, Joshua and Caleb, uh, everyone older, I'm sorry, everyone older than 20 years, except for Joshua and Caleb, would die in the desert. Nobody's getting out, except those under 20 and Joshua and Caleb. And he said that for 40 years they're going to suffer for their sins and know what it would be like to have God against them. I mean, that is the attitude, that, that, that's, that, that's, the, that, that's the ultimate judgment when we fall prey to accusations and negativity and a critical spirit and all those kind of things. God himself against you. Who wants that? <laughs> Nobody wants that. But that's what happens with, that, that's what takes place when we flirt with some of the negativity and criticism and judgment and blame shifting and the lack of taking personal responsibility. And then those who were responsible for spreading this bad report, God struck down with a deadly plague. And that demonstrates to me that there's even stricter judgment for those who are leaders of the rebellion, those who actually lead people in, into gossip and bitterness and strife and envy and, you know, just pick your adjective. The next rebellion is similar, number 16, 2 and 3. Korah and certain Reubenites became insolent and rose up against Moses, and with them 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. So these are all leadership. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you had gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself up above the Lord's assembly? <laughs> These, I'm telling you what, this stuff is so relevant today. It really is. This is the accusation that, hey, wait a minute, we're all God's children. Why are there these defining levels of authority? We're all holy. God speaks to all of us just like Moses and, and Moses makes as many mistakes as we do, so we don't like this system. Well, the Lord heard it, obviously, and he allowed, believe this, allowed the ground to split open and swallow up 250 of them. Boom, gone, just like that. Now, you would think <laughs> that would get their attention. <laughs> the ground opening up and swallowing 200, all 250 of them, I mean... No, they're several years into the wilderness now. I mean, that's number 16 or, yeah. And, and they're several, they were relatively mature followers of God who knew better than to complain any longer against their leaders, right? Wrong. Verse 41. The next day, <laughs> the next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people. Wow, the Lord killed his own people now. I mean, that's the accusation. And this is the very next day. <laughs> They're complaining and their blame shifting. And the people continued to disregard guard the seriousness of their actions. And so how did God deal with this? Well, he sent a plague that killed 14,700 of them. So we go from, you know, Little touches, and it's like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, that you shouldn't be doing this. And then we, then we get into, you know, fire around the outskirts of the, of the tents, and they still didn't get it. And then they're complaining. He's, he starts striking some dead, 
you know, because they're complaining against the manna, and then they, they just don't get it, and then he, you know, he sends out a plague, and they still don't get it, and then he kills, swallows 250, they still don't get it. So now he kills 14,700 of them. Continual intensification of judgment. And then the last recorded complaint is found in 20, Numbers 21. This is about 40 years later after the first complaint. Numbers 21, 4 and 9. Four to nine. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route, or the route, or the route, or the, however you want to say it, to the. How do you say that route? How do I say it? Route, route, route sixty. No, it's route. I say route. Route sixty-six. <laughs> they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but most people grew impatient along the way. They spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, why have you brought us out to Egypt to die in the desert? Pretty consistent complaints. There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. So notice how when accusations and complaints and negativity are never really dealt with, they, they one day, this is 40 years later, one day they're directed right against God himself. People were saying to both God and God's leader, we don't like your provision, we don't like your vision, we don't like your provision, what you're feeding us. They were impatient, they were frustrated, they were disillusioned, and then look what happens. The Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. So, I mean, there's chaos. Can you imagine? A whole, I mean, I mean, there are a million Jews or whatever out there. There's lots of Jews in the wilderness. And can you imagine how many snakes were unleashed? Venomous snakes biting the people. It was chaos. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Finally, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it upon a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake. Bronze is a symbol for judgment, by the way. And he made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. And so both bronze and snakes represent God's judgment of sin and rebellion. And so redemption came by looking at the bronze snake on a pole. Keep in mind, God did not remove the snakes. That's important. He didn't remove the snakes. He just provided a way of healing and salvation and victory in the midst of the snakes. The snakes were still there, biting the people. Jesus refers to this incident in John 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake of the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And the lifted up, that refers to crucifixion. So Jesus himself took upon the curses and judgments of mankind, lifted up on that cross so everyone could look to him and be saved, could enter into victory, could enter into salvation. All prophetic from, from what happened here where, where, where um, uh, uh, everyone who looks to Jesus would be freed from the poison of sin. Just as those who looked at the bronze snake were free from the poison of the snakes. The snakes were still there. People were still getting bit, but the poison had no effect. There was provision. In the same way, sin is always crouching at our door, but it has no poisonous effect when we keep our eyes on Jesus, or if we are bit, we have the healing provision of Jesus. 
Jesus is the answer to the curse of sin. Jesus is the answer to complaining. He's the answer to gossip and, 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 and grumbling. He's the answer to, Jesus is the answer to blame shifting and negativity and accusation of critical spirit and all that, all those junk words. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And the next verse says that the Lord is pleased with such sacrifices. So, you know, God, we, God is not, I mean, this, this study proves that God is not happy. He's not pleased when we complain, when we're critical, when we accuse, when we blame shift, when we point the finger, when we gossip. He's not happy with that. He's not pleased. And, 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 and they are not like a pleasing, they're more like a poison. Those things are like poison. And the only way the poison of bites of tongue of the tongue will, will not affect us is if we keep our eyes upon Jesus. Remember Jonah. Jonah was not happy at all when God was merciful to the Ninevites. And, and he wished he were dead because of God's mercies. Crazy story. You know? I mean, basically he lost face. Hey, I prophesied they were gonna die and you didn't you saved him. Well, now I look bad. Well, God conferred him twice with this question. Do you have a right to be angry? I love that question. That's like God nails it. Have you ever had God ask you a question? I have on several occasions. He asks you a question. You don't have to answer. Because when God asks you a question, you know the answer. You're busted. That's the way he works, you know? Do you have a right? In other words, God is saying, John, do you, do you have the right to challenge my ways? Do you really have the audacity to accuse me? That's what he's saying. And if you're cool, when did the Lord deliver Jonah out of the belly of the fish? Jonah prays a prayer, and in that prayer of distress, crying out to God, he concluded with these words. He said this, With a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Salvation comes from the Lord. He's in the belly of the fish. He's still there. Dying. You know, but, but he, this is what he says. And so deliverance came after God heard his heart. So many times we want to be delivered out of our circumstances before we're thankful. But we fail to realize that it's actually so many times we ourselves who keep us in the midst of our circumstances with our negative words, with our negative behavior, with our judgments and criticize. We're keeping ourselves in that ridiculously uh, difficult circumstances. Are, we are, without because we're not giving thanks. It's as if the Lord waited, and he waits for us oftentimes. It's as if the Lord waits, waited for Jonah, for his heart to change, to such a degree that I'm going to wait until he's filled with thankfulness. He didn't have to understand why he's in darkness there. He didn't understand why he's going through this. I just want to wait until he's thankful. You see, because it's easy to be thankful when everything's going our way, but when they're not, when we can't see any sign of deliverance, then we fall prey off into disillusionment, and we fall into the sense of complaining and criticizing. What made David so very special? I mean, David could be treated like an outlaw. He could be hunted to be killed by King Saul. He could be living and hiding out in caves like a fugitive, yet he was able to be filled with joy and write all these beautiful songs because he was able to see God. He was able to look past the circumstances and the people and able to trust 
in the Lord no matter what. What made the Apostle Paul so special? I mean, Paul, he could be thrown into prison. He could be whipped and beaten. He could be left for dead. He could go without food. He could be often cold and naked and danger, as he said, all over the country. Yet he could say this. One of my favorite passages, we are dying, yet we live on. Beaten, yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich having nothing, yet possessing everything. He could be, Paul could be under house arrest, not knowing that he would, if he would ever be released, but he could write, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, if you didn't get it, rejoice. <laughs> but it's a choice. That's how we started this teaching today. It's a choice. It's a choice David made. It's a choice uh, Paul made. They both made choices to be full of praise. Why? So they could get out of the circumstances? I don't think so. Because God was worthy of, of joy-filled thankfulness and praise. Do you think Paul and Silas, after they were stripped and flogged and thrown into the inner prison, the darkest of darkness, they, think they, they sat there in the evening and said, Hey, hey, if we, if we pray and sing songs, maybe an earthquake is going to happen and, and release us and set us free. Maybe we should do that. Now, they, they were praying and praising and thanking God not in order that he would deliver them, but just because they knew who they were in Jesus, no matter what happened to them. They were sons of God. They had full rights and privileges as sons, and they were heirs of God. They were joint heirs. They knew all these things. So, so, so the, these combining brism bars in front of them meant nothing. It meant nothing to them. They were greater than that. We're greater than our circumstances. Who we are is greater than the things that come and try to imprison us. And so they weren't about to lower themselves to complaining and grumbling. They weren't about to reduce themselves to disillusionment and blame shift. They elevated themselves to the proper position in Christ Jesus. They rose above the circumstances, and it's those levels that God wants to elevate us. Levels of trust, levels of integrity, levels of character, but it's our choice. And so we have the, this choice to, as I said at the beginning, to, to give thanks or give complaint, to praise or to criticize, to build up or tear down. And one of the greatest challenges in the Christian life is this, to move from negativity, which leads to ultimate defeat, into uh, the, uh, the, the, this negativity and complaining into a victorious lifestyle of continual thanks. To move from criticism and blame-shifting, accusations, and move into a life of a joyful heart. That's our choice, and that's our challenge as well. Let's stand together, please.